Now, do I have your full attention? Screw you. Hello to Yogi, hello to Boo Boo, hello to Scooby Doo, Barney and Bradley. Don't forget your goat leggings. Well, par me all over the place. So at my office, uh, we have a thing called Bake Club where each member bakes for the others. And in return, you get well, weeks of baked goods given to you. Uh, and so it was my turn this week and... I tried a new recipe, which is always a mistake. It has just turned into an unmitigated disaster. I asked someone else to purchase strawberries for me the day of baking, because I was like, cool, get the freshest ingredients. And somehow he managed to find the only punnet of strawberries in the state that was rotten entirely. And so I had to go right before we were meant to record today, go out to the supermarket and get more strawberries only to come home and find out that I just did not have enough chocolate ganache to cover the strawberries. So it's just really been an unmitigated disaster, which I'm sure all our listeners can relate to. And uh, I'm sure Van Heflin has been in that situation as well. So. Where the hacienda? Thank you so much for coming. You reported a prowler, ma'am? Yes, about 20 minutes ago. I looked up and there was this man looking in the window. Which window? It was one of the back windows. Oh, there's an empty lot on that side, isn't it? Yes. When he saw that I'd seen him, he jumped away from the window and I, I phoned you. We better check that lot for footprints, Webb. Roger. All right, well, <laughs> we're talking about The Prowler today, which is a frankly batshit movie when you think about it. Uh, in any kind of critical capacity. It was written uh, under a pseudonym by Trumbo. Uh, and frankly, I think he just did not give a shit when he was writing this script. He was just like, yep, someone could make all the worst decisions and feel fine about it right up until like the very end. And uh, also Van Heflin can't do a single thing right. Yep, that sounds great. Let's put it in a movie. It's about what Van Heflin deserves. I mean, is it his fault he looks that way? I mean, it depends on how Calvinist we're going to go with this. I would argue it is his... I've Googled Van Gethlin. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if you ask me, Trumbo should have... Well, deserve to be blacklisted purely for this alone. (laughs) Um, Because, really, he makes Evelyn Keyes make the worst decisions a human could make. So, right out the gate, I'm going to own up to the fact that I did at one point while watching this accidentally call Van Heflin Van Johnson. (laughs) (laughs) And in the context, you were calling him Van Johnson adult baby. (laughs) 
Because we'd postulated earlier that Van Heflin looked like a baby. Yeah. Like, he has the head of a baby. All the features are so small on his big light bulb head. <laughs> Do me a favor. Go to his Wikipedia page right now and go to career and then look at the picture of him under the heading, the subheading MGM. Because he's looking like a fucking adult baby in that picture. <laughs> oh, yep. <laughs> the mustache. The mustache. Why is that the one picture? Who picked that? Did he pick he, that? He himself. Apparently he, he, okay, so Van Heflin died. He had a heart attack while swimming in a pool. Yeah, I did see that. He was in a coma for seven weeks. <laughs> I like how we keep it light and eerie. Well, I mean, it, it is a movie about a stalker, kidnapper. Gaslighter. Ugly man. Have you been sleeping? No, just resting. I don't sleep very much at night. And well, that's where you saw the face, huh? No, in here. I'd been lying on the bed resting and listening to the radio, and I thought if I took a bath, I might be able to sleep better. And afterwards, just as I was putting my robe on, I looked up, and there he was. Well, if I was you from now on, I'd keep the curtain closed. You ever notice in a bank, they always keep the counting room out of sight so the customers won't get tempted? I suppose you're right. I just didn't think. Oh, it's you. No footprints out here. The grass has just been cut, and it'd be kind of hard to spot and again, maybe the lady's just imagining things. He was just as plain as your friend's face just now. I mean, I guess, yeah, we should probably talk about the plot. Uh, Van Heflin inexplicably is named Webb Garwood in this. Now, Webb is not a name. That's just not a name. And he's like a disgruntled police officer who is called by Evelyn Keyes uh, when she sees a prowler outside her bathroom, which, one, why are you showering with the window open? Also, just closing the curtain over an open window, that's not going to do anything. Why are you doing that? Anyway, he falls in love with her, even though she's married, um, and apparently... Another film where they're both from Indiana, inexplicably, and bond over that. My name's uh, Webb, Webb Garwood. Webb Garwood? Somehow that, that sounds familiar. Hey, wait a minute. Where are you from? Indiana, Terre Haute. Did you ever see East Indianapolis play Terre Haute High School basketball? Of course I have. You, you're not that wet. Nobody else. <laughs> you played center. We got beat three years in a row because of you. Oh, well, uh, there were four other guys on the team, you know? I know, but you were the only one we're really afraid of. <laughs> and not only that, but they appear to have been aware of each other, or at the very least, Evelyn was aware of him because he played basketball. Just like Michael J. in Teen Wolf. Which, how tall was Van Heflin? Was he even tall enough to play basketball? He does not look tall enough to play basketball, no. Van Heflin height. Van Heflin, six feet. I, again, another thing I just straight up do not fucking believe. IMDb says he's 5'11", just closer probably to the truth. Again, every man who's 5'11 is actually six feet. Um, well, Evelyn Keys was 5'4", so I just, they weren't that different in height. I mean, the forehead is a full foot just in its own. Uh, anyway, he becomes obsessed with her, and because her husband is a radio DJ who works nights, she's often home alone. They start hanging out, having an affair, as you do. Then Van Heflin orchestrates this plan where he murders her husband under the guise of, you know, he's a cop who's come for the prowler call, and he thought that the husband was the prowler. Who's there?
and we just get the one frame of, of the um, husband's face. And apparently the voice is Dalton Trombo himself. Then from then on, it sort of goes totally batshit in terms of the plot. He's not charged with murder because she says she's never seen him before in her life under oath. And then they get married. And nobody questions that. Then she finds out she's pregnant and doesn't... It takes her a very long time to understand how that could look incriminating. You've known for four months, you say, about the baby? Yes. Why didn't you tell me before this? You know you and I can't have a baby yet. What are you talking about? We're going to. It's what I've always wanted. The minute that baby's born, we're in trouble, both of us. I don't know what you mean. Because we won't have been married long enough for it to be mine. And it couldn't have been your husband's. How do you know? Your brother-in-law, your ex-brother-in-law. Oh, I didn't know John had told him. He did, both him and his wife. Well, we could keep it a secret. They're a long way off. They'd never have to know. They'll know right along with everybody else. What about those reporters this afternoon and the photographers? Cop Mary's widow of, of Manny killed. Don't you think the birth of the dead man's baby is going to make even a better story? It's not his, it's ours. Sure, and they'll all know that. I don't care who knows it. Look, do I, do I have to draw a picture for you? When that baby is born, they'll know that you and I were seeing each other long before the killing. Well. And they'll remember your testimony that you'd never seen me before in your life. How do you think that's going to look? Yeah. <laughs> The fact that the baby would be born with less than nine months of marriage. Uh, so then Van Heflin decides that the only solution to their problem is to move to a ghost town, uh, which seems extreme to me. I mean, you could just move to like another state. I'm not sure he considered what would happen once they had the baby because he doesn't seem determined to live in the ghost town forever, but he has absolutely no plans for when they do emerge with a live child of a certain age. I guess he thought that like babies just look the same after a certain period of time and you can just fucking say anything you wanted. Uh, I mean, I'm sure his baby would look balked, so like... <laughs> that was very restrained of you. <laughs> but eventually, Evelyn finally realizes that she's in a bit of a sticky situation. It all really comes to a head with the doctor coming to deliver the baby and the doctor re recognizes Van Heflin and steals the baby, steals his keys... What did you tell him? To get away, if he could. I took the key. Did you tell him our name? I didn't have to. Your badge. You lied to him. He remembered seeing your face in the newspaper. Why didn't he go last night? He waited till he could take the baby with him. In ten minutes, he'll be on his way back here with the cops. And then the police come and... <laughs> Also, his friend, old Bud, thwarts him in his mission to kill the Doctor, uh, which is great because Bud is Bud Crocker is a great character who collects crystals. Here, take a look at this. No future in being a cop, that's what some guys think. No money and they just don't like the work. Well, I do. Rose quartz, one of the best specimens we've found. You see, it just depends on what you figure a, a cop's job really is. Now... Huh? Oh, yes, 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 the history. You know, not far from where we found this is the site of one of the worst Indian massacres in the history of the whole Southwest. No kidding. Absolutely. Here. You see, I figure that the job of a cop is to protect lives. Now, some of these trigger-happy guys... Charles, Charles, dear. They think they have to protect things. Oh, uh, iron pyrites. 
That's fool's gold. That's the first specimen we found. Cost us $7.80 to have it assayed. Is that right? Charles, don't you think Webb's seen enough for tonight? Have you? No, no. The way Bud talks about it, it makes it sort of come alive. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, he just wants to be his friend, wants to hang out, wants to see his friend in the middle of a ghost town, not questioning why he's living in this ghost town. And then Van Heflin gets shot on a hill. And that's the, that's the plot. Um, I would like to take issue with one thing that you said, though. You said that Webb isn't a real name. And someone who's very near and dear to this podcast was born with the first name Webb. Well, maybe that person deserved that name. I would say he did, for all the war crimes he committed. It's, 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 it's Clifton Webb. Well, I'm glad he rectified where the Webb was in his name. Yeah, his birth name is Webb Parmalee. P-A-R-M-E-L-E-E, Hollenbeck. Man, his parents fucking hated him, huh? Oh, I think his mom loved him a little too much. (laughs) (laughs) No, this is, this, The Prowler's a good movie, um, despite the fact that Van Heflin's Van Heflin it up all over the place. But for me, his, his hideous visage kind of works a little bit. Yeah. Because I don't trust him immediately. But that's the thing, though, because it's like, yeah, he seems like the person who would be prowling and would be concocting all this you know, crooked shit. But that doesn't explain why Evelyn Keyes is so ready to just, like, totally give herself over to him. She, like, sees where he lives and is like, I'll break up with my husband. Bitch, you live in a mansion. Make some good decisions. Well, how much do we know about the husband? I mean, we don't need to know a lot. He just, he wasn't there. Maybe he does the 1950s equivalent of, like, collecting Funko Pops or something, you know? Well, we know that he was... Impotent. Well, that would be a big one. Well, no, not impotent. We know he's infertile. Oh, okay. So, well, I was gonna say. Well, I assume he was impotent. <laughs> it's like, well, that's why she's with Van Heflin. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty clear to me. But no, the thing I don't is, know. she's Evelyn King. She could get literally anyone else for that. Like, why does it have to be Gargoyle Man Van Heflin? Like, what? Because he's willing to kill her husband. It's kind of like, um, over time, it's been criticized for its similarity plot wise to The Postman Always Rings Twice. Speaking of, The Postal, the postal Inspector Always <laughs> Rings Twice. <laughs> um, but that movie, you also understand, you know, why uh, she's so drawn to John Garfield, not only because John Garfield is. Uh, a moron in that movie and a dangerous one but also he's john garfield so you, you know you get it but yeah no i think you are right about that it's like him i think where trumbo goes wrong with this is that evelyn keys kind of like vacillates between being in on it but also extremely resistant like she says no yeah. but then he really doesn't give her any like agency she's not particularly fleshed out so i think that's where the plot really suffers because yeah van heflin i think is a good creepy villain like there are bits early in the movie when he's you know, showing up back at her house and he's kind of exercising that, like, power that he has as a cop who knows where she lives that are really genuinely unsettling. Oh, hello. Come in. Thank you. I was just passing by. I thought I'd check to see if everything's still all right. Well, yes. At least I think so. Do prowlers generally come twice in the same night? No, but we do. It's part of the job. Hope I didn't wake you up. Oh, no, I was just having a cup of coffee. We're generally supposed to make checkup calls, especially where women are concerned and when they're alone. But then you get suddenly, you know, Evelyn Keyes is like kind of going with it. And then two minutes later, she's like, no, please leave. And then she's going for it again. And you don't feel any genuine like it's just bad writing, I guess. It it feels. Yeah, I was going to say it has like there's like a veneer of consent. 
Yeah. And I think that's typical of a lot of Trumbo's writing, because I don't think Trumbo ever really wrote women well. I think that's kind of a, a, an issue characteristic of his writing. I mean, all you really get from her is that she she's lonely, I guess. I guess you could say it's because her husband's not around, but he always says, you know, I'll see you at home or whatever when he signs off. And it's like, even that doesn't really feel like enough of a motivation to really justify any of what goes on here. I mean, the single frame of her husband shows him that he's also very ugly. So I mean, I mean maybe she has a type. Some women love folks. There's just no logic to any of the decisions that she makes throughout this movie. Like, it's very hard to track what her motivations are and, like, why she's engaging with Van Heflin in the way that she is. Yeah, it's it, it's weird and um, very telling of how Trombo sees women. Um, what else happens in this movie that's worth discussing? Oh, well, you know, okay, so the ghost town they go to, Calico, uh, that was somewhere I took I took family vacations as a child because it has since been turned into a tourist trap. Did you also stay in buildings with huge holes in it? I did. I drank a lot of sarsaparilla, and I think there might have been like a wooden cartoon donkey at one point. And there is actually, Calico, Calico was a real ghost town that then was converted into kind of being like this, you know, mini theme park kind of thing but it still has like a you know a real pioneer cemetery um so it has kind of uh it's kind of kind of ghoulish kind of ghostly but i like to think that van heflin because you were like well well he wasn't clearly wasn't planning on living in the ghost town but i do like the idea that like imagine like you're the guy who buys calico and you're going to turn it into like a little like kitschy you know roadside attraction <laughs> and you show up and Van Heflin and Evelyn Keys and their fucked up Van Heflin baby are living <laughs> like feral, like scavengers. <laughs> Just a building full of holes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it could have very quickly turned into like a Hills Have Eyes sort of mutant family. Yeah. Van Heflin looks like one of the mutants from the Hills Have Eyes, so. So like, I mean, that could have been Origins. Origin story is that. Well, I think that now we might have to acquire the rights to the Prowler and make the sequel it deserves. <laughs> I'd like to, to point out that the director of this, Joseph Losey, also directed the remake of M, the 1951 remake of M. That seems to be the only notable standout from his career that I can see. Oh, he made um, he made The Boy with Green Hair. That's, that's a good movie. But yeah, I'm not familiar with a lot of Losey's stuff because he moved to Europe and... You know, you know how I feel about Europeans. And he also, he worked a lot with Harold Pinter. And I think Pinter, you know, should should have been assassinated. <laughs> He's dead. But if he weren't, I would kill him again. Again. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Tiff, you should um, share the cool fact about the pseudonym used. Oh, yeah. That's the friend who got the writing credit for Trumbo here was Hugo Butler, who is from Calgary, Alberta, where I'm from. Bay Ray was from like a Mormon compound in Cardston, Alberta. That's like all I got, really. So that's a new one for me. Look how far your people go. Look now, there's <laughs> Fay Ray, there's Hugo Butler, and now there's you. <laughs> Trailblazers. There's a, there's a, is it monogram or a movie called, there's a musical, I think, called The Girl from Calgary. Yeah, Fifi Dorsey, I think, is in it. Yeah, yeah, Fifi Dorsey. Yeah, we should watch that. I'm sure it's terrible. That is very, you're making an assumption there that might happen. <laughs> because I'm looking at it right now and Astrid Alwyn's in it. I like Astrid Alwyn. So Candace, you you said he moved to Europe, Joseph Losey, but he moved to Europe because he was exiling himself to avoid Huac. Really buried the lead there. 
<laughs> I, I maybe just assume that uh, other other people on this podcast might 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 know that about Joseph Losey. Sometimes I'm afraid that I'm going to say something and be like, "Well, we all know that," you know. And look, I'd be like, I think okay. it's safe to assume I don't know anything. The only thing I, I really don't know much about Losey as a person. I know that he was close buds I, I, with Bertolt Brecht, who was, I think, a little bit of a hypocrite when it came to the HUAC stuff, because Brecht testified, and uh, you know how we feel about people who testify before HUAC. I, you know, I don't think I don't think it was anything particularly indemnifying, but it's still not a cool thing to do. I like to share this uh, this piece of. Oh, I guess this anecdote. Apparently, Losey had a long-term contract with Dor. Is it Sherry at yeah. RKO when Howard Hughes purchased the company in 1948 and began purging it of leftists? Losey later explained how Hughes tested employees to determine if they had communist sympathies. I was offered a film called I Married a Communist, which I turned down categorically. I later learned that this was a touchstone for establishing who was red. You were offered I Married a Communist to anybody who you thought was a communist, and if they turned it down, they were. So um, that's some... I'm sure that's illegal now <laughs> to do. <laughs> you know, uh, who ended up being an I Married a Communist? Isn't that like Lorraine Day or something? Yes, Lorraine Day, Robert Ryan, John Agar. I think we should watch I Married a Communist at some point because I'm interested in, um, wasn't Robert Ryan fairly left-wing? I think that it was just so early on in his career. Um, excuse me, uh, do you know who was the narrator of the I Was a Communist for the FBI radio series? If you say Joel McRae, I'll kill you. No, uh, it's actually quite different. Um, it's it's Dana Andrews. I was a communist for the FBI. Starring Dana Andrews in an exciting tale of danger and espionage, I was a communist for the FBI. the actual records and authentic experiences of Matt Savetic come many of the incidents in this unusual story. Here is our star, Dana Andrews, as Matt Savetic, who for nine fantastic years lived as a communist for the FBI. In all these fantastic years, fear was my worst enemy. The average man in the normal course of events comes face to face with fear only a few times in his life. But I faced the terror of fear almost constantly for nine years as a communist for the FBI. Man, how much do you think it grinded his gears to be in that position? I wasn't aware that by 1952 Dana was that in the hole financially, but I have to dig up I have to dig up that Dana biography and see some rationale for that because bully fuck, that's a very undana of him. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I mean, we've all been there. We've all... We've all been there. He was saving up for that chest hole surgery that he never got. Our good friends at Wikipedia. They say, The film and radio show are, in part, artifacts of the McCarthy era, as well as a time capsule of American society during the second Red Scare. The purpose of both is partly to warn people about the threat of communist subversion of American society. The tone of the show is ultra-patriotic, with communists portrayed as racist, vindictive, and tools of a totalitarian foreign power of the Soviet Union. 
opinion? Um, I guess Dana really needed the dough and uh, also just like fuck sometimes you just need to compromise your own convictions the movie i was a communist for the fbi was nominated for an oscar for best documentary feature that's a little odd because it's it's not so they nominated that for an oscar but not dana himself look we have plenty of evidence of hollywood's injustice towards dana andrews he deserved an Academy Award. What what Dana film would you say he was most deserving of an Academy Award for? Jewel in the Jungle is what I'm going to go with because he shot a snake out of the air. <laughs> wait, which, wait that, which state fair is that? Is that that's state fair? I think that's four. State fair four. We should. I should. We should specify that we refer to the the Dana Andrews, Gene uh, Crane canon as the state fair series. So there's state fair one, state fair. <laughs> Uh, State Fair 2 and State Fair 3 is State Fair 3 is Big Business which is the one where they're like uh, media execs or something uh, and then uh, State Fair 4 is Jungle Adventure, which is Duel in Jungle. Yeah. And then State Fair 5 is our favorite of them all. Hot Rods to Hell. Yeah. What the hell is State Fair 2 then? <laughs> <laughs> what is State Fair 2? State Fair 2 is Duel in the Jungle. State Fair 3 is Madison Avenue. And State Fair 4 Four is it's hot rods. It's hot rods to hell. I wish there were so many more state fairs. Well, when we're in control of the CGI industry, then they can be just like shirtless Dana, chest hole out. Van Heflin is, is funny to me because I don't know whoever felt strongly enough about Van Heflin to give him an Oscar because the man has an Oscar. I also forgot what movie it was for, and I read Johnny Eager's Johnny Belinda, and I was like, Van Heflin's not in Johnny <laughs> Belinda. Man, I'm like, he's not even, like, the biggest van in Hollywood. That was Van Johnson. That was absolutely Van Johnson. Van Heflin is shit. Dog shit under Van Johnson's shoes. <laughs> Which is saying something. Which reminds Van me. Johnson is all shit. Um, when the, uh, I think it might have been, uh, Song of the Thin Man was on, and, uh, it was uh, my grandma, and um we were talking about something and uh we can't remember who was over i was who i was talking to i think it was my aunt and we were talking about the uh the weird van johnson um keen win uh love triangle that fucked up love triangle between the two you know them and evie win and uh you know i was like well you know i read an an interesting theory that suggested that maybe it was more like keenan was in love with van that's why he didn't mind you know evie marrying van which makes a lot more sense you know but my grandma was just like, well, back then, just they didn't, they didn't accept that people were born that way, you know. They just, they just weren't. I'm like, thank you, grandma. Thank you. I know. I'm, I'm well aware. I am well aware <laughs> that the 1940s were a homophobic era in American culture. But thank you. Thanks, thanks for the feedback. <laughs> I love the idea of the missing entry in the State Fair series. Like, I think it was just wistful thinking on my part. I yeah. Was like, Surely there's another one they made together when they were still youthful and Dana didn't look like his hair was entirely composed of Ovaltine, but <laughs> that was just simply not the case, so... I, okay, The Prowler is objectively a good movie. I do enjoy it. Very much enjoy yeah. the weird ghost town, you know, uh, kidnapping, birth on dirt floor kind of sequence. I do like, I have a very, I have a soft spot for Evelyn Keys. I just cannot sum up enough interest in this movie talk about anything other than Dana Andrews right now. I mean, that's your constant state of being, though. I mean, it would have been a very different movie if it was Dana Andrews in the Van Heflin role. Because Dana's also got those shark eyes. 
So mm. she would have immediately known not to get involved with him. <laughs> ben Afflin is just ugly enough. You know how it's like ugly guys sometimes manage to worm their way into beautiful women's hearts because it's like, oh, well, he can't be that dangerous because he looks like a Muppet. I would say, you know, it has a good mood. It does. It's fun. It's fancy free. Uh, <laughs> no strings. I do think it's truly creepy. It's good at that. Um, the ghost town stuff is good. Bud and Grace are excellent. Bud and Grace totally ruined Van's big escape plan by just kind of like boxing him out. I've got to get through, bud. We've been looking for you. We drove back to that place. It's Susan. She's sick. I gotta get help. Do get help. Back up. Do like I say and get out. Back up. Where? This is little old bud you're talking to, remember? Do like he says, Charles. Whatever you say. Evelyn finding the gun that's like wrapped up, which when we were watching it, you said that's his vibrator. Yeah. That, that bit was good. I just don't understand how people were like okay with them getting married. Like no one questioned that. They were just like, yeah, the cop that killed your husband, you're just going to marry him? Okay. But yeah, I think as a film, it's enjoyable to watch. It's the twists and turns. It's totally crazy. I mean, they're the kind of films we like the most anyway, ones where it's like, did an alien write this? Do they know anything about the human race or how they operate? It's always intriguing to watch films like that, I think. And I think it was interesting, like all of the sets I think were really interesting, like from the mansion, like it was very obviously a set, but like, when you think about the outside, like the exterior and the interior just didn't match yeah. one another. And then like, he just keeps his cigarettes in a cabinet with the wills. And then the, the ghost town set was cool. Ben's little apartment was fucking horrible and shabby as shit. Um, and the fact that Evelyn walked into it and was like, yeah, I still want a piece of this. <laughs> uh, really just like was very unbelievable. But I mean, some, some women don't love themselves. So, you know, what can you do? That's sad. It's sad. <laughs> It's funny because I've recommended this movie to multiple people, and yet I can't I can't sum up any interest in uh, in discussing it any further. I think it's part of it is that it's um a lot of it is just the atmosphere, like yeah, I, that is a big part of it. Yeah, it just has that mood, right? And like Amelia was saying, the sets are interesting, and yeah, there's not a lot to say about it. It's it's pretty much you know a cut and dry. Um, Van's not that interesting. Evelyn Keys isn't really that interesting, but it's just got that weird creepy scuzzy mood yeah. to immerse yourself in for however long so exactly I, I remember seeing this for the first time i think i was probably like 13 or, or 14 maybe and I, I remember uh like the sound of like the wind whistling through through the desert air outside the cabin being very menacing i think the movie gave me nightmares Susan, I'm going to get the doctor. I'll be all right. I'll be all right. 
because I'm I'm so afraid of Van Heflin. Even just the concept of calling the police and it is Van Heflin, not even the song <laughs> thing, but like that's who responds is very scary to me personally. I mean, really, it is an allegory for saying that blue lives don't matter, especially if they're Van Heflin blue lives. This movie is, I think, very strongly anti-blue lives. I will also say that when we were watching it before I knew that the radio voice was Trumbo, I was like, man, this they really got a bad radio voice. <laughs> really shouldn't be on the radio. Maybe there'll be a more. I hope so, don't you? Well, perhaps. Almost time for signing off. But still time to tell you about the wife's receipt for plump, it's one tender little ranch. John's records. He must have got mixed She likes nothing better than fresh garden-grown parsley and a few of our ice-crisp hearts of celery. And the cost of living is going down. Good night to everyone. I'll be seeing you, Susan. <laughs> Just like no. me watching Cats and being like, God, this song fucking sucks, and then finding out it was co-written <laughs> by Taylor Swift. I think, yeah, we would all probably recommend it, but we would also recommend that you not try to, like, talk to your friends about it, because there's not that much to say. Yeah, watch it, be be menaced by it, think, oh, I like Evelyn Keys, and then forget about it for a while. And then watch it again. Watch it again. And then think about Van Heflin drinking sarsaparilla in a mining cart. As he does. As he does, to this day, as one of the famed ghosts of Calico, California. <laughs> okay, well, good for Van Heflin. He, he made movies. <laughs> he sure did. Some of them were fun. <laughs> Can't deny that. <laughs> he, there's one movie he didn't make, though. That was Johnny Belinda. He did not make that movie. <laughs> He also didn't make uh, A Guy Named Joe or Last Time I Saw Paris. Those those were Van Johnson movies, in fact. So he was not in those. Those were th- that's three movies that Van Heflin did not make. Every other movie, though? Maybe. 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 <laughs> Prove he wasn't. That's my stance. I'm, st- I'm sticking to it. <laughs> anyway, thank you for listening to this uh, brief discussion of The Prowler. We'll be back with more content eventually. Um, please rate and review us on iTunes or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Uh, and, I mean, don't lurk outside people's windows. Don't go really. to Indiana. Also, don't have soft curtains in your bathroom. Just a thought. That was weird and gross. Don't have sex with a man and then have him kill your husband and then be surprised when the baby comes out with 10 inches of forehead instead of looking like your husband from before. A lot of life lessons in this movie, huh? (laughs) Thank you, everybody. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Goodbye. Thank you. Goodbye. Sorry for everything. Hey, so uh, I'm on Wikipedia and it says, uh, in Greek mythology, the Delphic Oracle told Apollo that horseradish was worth its weight in gold. That's very interesting. Is it? Yeah. Did they have horseradish in Delphi? It's probably indigenous to temperate Eastern Europe and then was brought to Southern Europe, I don't know, by somebody. And it's mentioned by Pliny the Elder, presumably, they think it's probably the plant mentioned by Pliny the Elder in his natural history and um George Washington and Thomas Jefferson both grew it. Are you trying to argue that it's food stuff of freedom? Uh that's absolutely what that means. Well, if it was truly uh a food stuff of freedom, it would stand up on its own uh and wouldn't need other flavors to help curtail its strength but um well you know you're all entitled to your incorrect opinion we're in a fight about fucking horseradish yeah well 
I, I must say, though, despite my affinity for horseradish, I am not a Bloody Mary horseradish kind of person. I just, it doesn't hit me where it's supposed to. See, like, I'm a pickle person. I'm all about pickles. Normal pickles, pickled radish. Love that shit. Horseradish, I just not... Not about it. Sauerkraut, not about that either. Yeah, I'm not. I don't like sauerkraut. I really am not a cabbage. A cabbage doesn't do it for me. Uh, cabbage is good in kimchi. Something about the fermentation of cabbage that to me is just you know it's a little. It's just not. It's not it, Chief. Tiff, what's your stance on cabbage? This is going to be like the time I had to cut out 10 solid minutes of us talking about what kind of beef jerky we would be. Well, now now you can jam it with this talk and we can just have an episode that's condiment cheddar. What are jerky flavors be? I don't know what flavors there are in jerky. It's not a thing here. Well, basically anything that can't be jerked gets jerked. Really, it could be anything. Goat jerky, bison jerky, turkey jerky. Well, you'd be turkey jerky because you make a lot of turkey noises on the show. So. <laughs> I guess I guess Tiff would be like caribou or like elk. Yeah. Something from the great white north. Also, like you flip your car over when you're approaching Tiff. You know, you see her in the middle of the street and you swerve to avoid her. And then you're just <laughs> doing head flips through the taiga. Is there kangaroo jerky? I bet there is. Somewhere. I'm just, I'm j- literally Googling that That's now. That's <laughs> sad. I don't like the idea. Because maybe it's just kangaroos to me look so much like dogs that I don't like the well, you idea can absolutely. There one. is such a thing as kangaroo jerky. Actually, I've, I've eaten kangaroos actually quite nice you've eaten kangaroo yeah how have we never discussed the fact you've eaten kangaroo until this very moment you can get it in the supermarket it's like what the fuck there are a lot of kangaroos here i know that and they're they're quite they're mean and aggressive but how do you not look at that face and just think oh that's like vaguely canine i don't i mean it doesn't have a face in the supermarket so it's not a problem (laughs) (laughs) in my defense my exposure to kangaroos from an early age was fomented by kangaroo jack starring jerry (laughs) o'connell so (laughs) they're not to me the menaces you know the impediments to your to your transportation that they are in australia they're a cool hip funky dude who wears a red hoodie and wear sunglasses and does funky breakdowns with Anthony Anderson. So you're saying that we should view kangaroos as like M&M. No, because and if M&M could be jerky, I would, M&M. I would, no, I would yeah. fully support jerkying M&M. But he's just so dry and haggard looking. I don't know how satisfying he'd be to eat. I, I, I mean, yeah, I guess that's... Where our countries, our cultural differences lie, we eat the animals on our coat of arms and you don't, so... Yeah, I gotta say, I, I don't think I've ever seen herd. I, I think it's illegal to probably eat a bald eagle. I have a feeling it's probably against the law. I mean, we, we have endangered animals here that are protected animals that you obviously don't eat. Which one's you know, your favorite of those of... that you can't eat, that you must want to eat? I don't want to eat them. But you've eaten kangaroos. If you're just so. asking what is... Well, yeah. What's the forbidden fruit of Australia? I don't want to eat any animals that I can't eat. Really? None of them are tempting to you? No. What's tempting to you, Candace? Yeah, what do you um, want to eat? What protected animals do you well, want to eat? Well, the problem is, is that in America, all the protected animals are things like the California condor, like that are carrion animals. They eat trash and bodies that have been dumped in the desert. So they're not really tasty, I don't think, you know? Oh, well, the bison. I believe you can buy bison burgers, so I guess it's a little similar. But a brown bear? I don't know. <laughs> you want to eat a bear? How can you look at a bear's face and want to eat I'm not going to eat a bear. This is a nonsensical conversation. 